0: The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is the jail visit on Shiawassee Radio. Live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo.
1: I am um, Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo and Grable and Associates with Byra Coleman. You know, this one... It's so hard to believe it's been nearly five years since that trial. At some point in your career, whatever career you have, to advance somebody's got to take a shot on you and when they take that shot they're gambling and in our world they're gambling with their freedom and it this is a tough one to talk about because this was my first huge trial stakes were high and Eric Coleman and his family took a shot on me and that case changed me for a lot of reasons it gave you a ton of confidence moving forward. It taught you more about the rules of evidence. You learned tricks that certain prosecutors will try. You learned how to be on the biggest stage. And I was really proud of that win. And then what happened after some of you know, some of you don't really altered the way I look at things, but let's take it from the top eric coleman also known as marcus coleman was charged basically attempted murder and a bunch of other bullshit charges it was from his crazy ex-girlfriend and at the time of the allegation eric had broken ribs the last i would say 18 months of eric coleman's life it was like a horrible drama. He got hit by a car twice. Then he was facing a long time in prison. He won. And then he gets killed in a drive by six months later. And I want to I want to tell the story from a legal perspective. And I want to talk about this guy that became my friend. I represented him. Kara, my wife represented him in civil cases. Eric Colm was just a nice person. When I first met Eric, John Estes came to me. John is his brother-in-law. Good friend, somebody I respect. And John came to me and told me there was a serious situation. And my first question was, well, tell me what I'm looking at. Because the newspaper says, that Eric shot a girl in Detroit and she was unarmed. And this case was an uphill battle. And then John goes, If you know Eric, that's not him. He doesn't roll like that. And I got to meet Eric. And this was at the time a big money case. That money wouldn't be as significant today, but at the time it was a biggest case I had at this point in my career. And I wanted it. But I also thought maybe a white guy was not the right fit for a Detroit trial. What I've learned later in life is when a white lawyer is fighting for a black man or woman, sometimes that's the best combination in the world. But you were living and learning, and I was like, lot more green five years ago. And Eric came in, and we prepped, and we prepped, and we prepped. And the trial kept getting adjourned. The prelim, it got bound over. Me and Rana Hadid, who was the prosecutor, like, war of words. She wanted no offers on this case. And we were negotiating and coming up with things and this and that. And, you know, when you go to trial, there's always a risk involved. You're gambling and I've won some pretty big cases where I've told people you need to consider an offer, but after the Eric Coleman case, I never make that final decision. Even if you power me to have that decision, I won't do it and we'll get into that. So we're going to get to trial and the morning of trial, we get a final offer. Judge Heisey, who's a great judge, she's doing civil litigation now in Detroit very fair judge she will take pleas a day of we get down to two years in prison now two years in prison minus a little bit of jail credit he had when he before he got him bonded out and he was looking at like probably at least 15 years in prison if we lost i want you to understand something eric passed a polygraph this was self-defense Truly an innocent kid. The castle doctrine was involved. Self-defense was involved. 911 calls. There were so many things that happened. But the day of Jory, if we there, we get the offer of two years. And I said to Eric, "It's a conversation that will never leave me. Here's the offer. And he looked at me and he goes, B, what do I do? I said, fuck it, let's go win this shit. He goes, okay, I'm following your lead. For a minute, Eric thought about doing the two years, even though he was innocent. Because what we see a lot, criminal defendants, is that some cases are about risk assessment. At this point, I am filled with anxiety And I'm running on adrenaline, but I'm not showing it to anybody. And Pete Winter did the trial with me and I'll always be grateful to Pete for being there, that trial and I prepped and I knew it so well. And this moment hit where I could just tell you, I knew we were going to win, but I was also out of my mind. And some things are a blur. And I wanted the jury questions like two weeks in advance and they laugh at you in Detroit in some counties, you get jury questions in advance. And the benefit to that is you could study people's social medias. You wanna know their political preferences, their sexual preferences, what they like to eat. Studying people on social media helps you pick juries better. And dire. let me tell you something, they don't teach that anywhere. You are in a relationship with somebody for two days to a week, have on that trial, and you're trying to learn about them. It is speed dating with someone's freedom on the line. And if you pick the wrong person, you hurt your client. There's psychology that comes into it, and you always love getting these jewelry questionnaires. And the trials I had been in with Bill McQuarrie and stuff like that, this was my first solo show. But we always studied jewelry questions, but there were no jewelry questions in Detroit. And you got these questions the day of, so you're on the fly you're picking Washington. you gotta do it on the fly shia wash you get the study oakland get the study macomb you may get the study and this is why i tell people that every jurisdiction is a different goddamn language but we get the trial um the synopsis kimberly is that a woman he was dating came over to his house when he had broken ribs she they had a very tumultuous relationship. She started hitting him with his cane while he was had a broken rib, and he was screaming in pain and he accidentally shot her in the leg. He called nine one one and the prosecutors always charged him with attempted murder. That's a synopsis there. So day one of trial, just feeling it, man. And we're beating up the cops, and we're beating up the alleged victim, complaining witness, and you know there were death threats coming in. Um, it was it was crazy, because complaining witness's family had a lot of hostility towards us, and you know first day of trial, we're breaking things down. I go to Pete Winter's house after. The opening was solid. Cross-examination was really good, and we're feeling really good going into day two. Day two, it felt like the wheels fell off. Rana Hadid beat us up day two. Um, She beat up Eric on cross-examination, she got in things that should have been hearsay she impeached him with police reports where he wasn't charged things i would have learned which if i ever deal with Rana again hmm, you know she had a lot more experience than me at that point game might change a little bit today so if you're watching this Rana, don't you try to put an innocent person in prison by violating the rules of evidence no problem catch you next time and day two it just felt like the prosecutor took control of the case I remember after day one, I went to Pete Winter's house and me and Pete decided who we're going to ask, what questions we're going to ask the next day. You're going to do this, you're going to do that witness. I remember day two, and i always appreciate Pete. He taught me a lot, but he came late to trial and it added to the anxiety that day. And we felt after day two, Eric was going to go to prison for a long time. It just seemed like, not knowing what I know today, things were falling apart. And we had to come back for day three for closings. I remember at closings the night before, Kara was out of town. Charlie, my pop, may he rest in peace, amazing dog. I went home and I was kind of catatonic. Because to me, Pete Winter said to me, I know he meant this in the best possible way. If you don't do an amazing closing tomorrow, Erica's going to prison for a really long time. And I kind of shut the world out. I texted Kara. I said, hey, I'm going to shut my phone down. I think she was in Houston for a case or something. I'm taking care of Charlie. I'm going to take a sleeping pill and I'm going to crash. And... I had like 30 missed calls and people were blowing me up and this and that. Now, what you didn't know, day two did not really go as bad as you thought it did. Day one was great, but day two, when the people really got into putting on their case, I thought I was getting my ass kicked. And people that were watching were like, no, you really, you're in this thing, Bill. And I don't know. I don't want to talk to anybody at this point. We had me back in court. We had to be back in court the last day. We had to get check-in at 8. And I got to the office at like 4 45 in the morning. I took care of my pop. And um, I was in the office trying to fine-tune some things. And I remember I changed things at least 30 times. I'm going to say this in my closing. I'm going to say that in my closing. I got this brilliant closing that is ready to go i'm gonna give it my best shot and then i'm thinking i should have just told him to take the two goddamn years what the fuck was i thinking because now it's coming down to this comes down to this one play this is where we're at and um we get to court and there's rana and there's the officer in charge who I had a ugly battle of words with, and there's all these young little prosecutors watching. And Pete comes up to me, and I know Pete Winter meant well by this because ah, look at that, all the kids are watching. Ron's going to show them how to do it, and I was wondering was Pete rooting for me that day because I, I know he was, he was, but I'm in this weird place. And all these little prosecutors are watching because Rana Hadid is going to do this closing and Eric Coleman is going to get convicted. And we're gonna come back six weeks later and he's gonna do 15 or more years in prison. And that was what the picture painted. And I had all my notes and Pete's talking to me but at this point it's like Charlie Brown's teacher talking, right, Wa I don't know what the hell he's saying. And I'm seeing all these young little prosecutors sitting there hanging on Rhonda's every word. And um, I'm seeing this confidence come out of her. And the officers smirking as she's doing her closing and all these kids hanging wherever we taking notes. I don't know what happened. Something changed in me that day. And as I'm there watching all this, here I am, Bill Amadeo, the academic. And I'm going to make all these solid points about why the elements of the crime are not met. And I'm looking at the jury, I'm looking at Pete, I'm looking at Ron, I'm looking at these kids, I'm looking at the OIC, and it's a foregone conclusion we're going to lose. And I don't know what happened. I just remember something snapped inside of me. And I took my notes and I ripped them up. And I was going to do my closing now. And Judge Heist goes, Mr. Amadeo, are you ready? Yes. I think I said yes. And I went out to do my closing. And everything I had prepared for flushed. I thanked the jury for being there, but when I got into the closing, I wasn't William Amadeo, this rising star at Graybone Associates. I wasn't this up and coming lawyer. I was Billy Amadio cause They used to call me instead of Amadeo from 109 North Willow Avenue and this kid in Ducktown. And that's who the fuck I'm gonna be at this closing. Fuck the elements of the crime. Screw everything you prepped. I'm gonna tell you a story why it's bullshit that Eric Coleman should lose his potential freedom here. They don't remember the closing per se. I remember bits and pieces of it. Because sometimes you just get in this trance. and I get into this trance sometimes where people will tell me, like, closing's your thing. Before a close, I always play, like, Enter Sandman. Because that's Mariano Rivera's theme song when he came in to close a game for the Yankees. It's kind of like this thing where I just become this different person. People tell me my closings are amazing. I don't remember my closings for the most part. But I remember before I started my closing, I had this fucking attitude. They're all counting on a the conviction. They're so sure they brought in all the new kids to watch. And I start talking. Something was said. And I'm jumping around the courtroom for eight to ten minutes. That much I remember. I remember pointing and moving and like a boxer rolling around the ring. And I couldn't tell you all the words that were being said. And it was over and Pete was complimenting me on my closing, which I didn't remember at that point, because literally guys, and this is crazy, but I became like this 15 year old kid in this lawyer's body, and I don't know what happened, but I, a couple hours later we come back. Not guilty, not guilty, not guilty across the board. And, um wow. I remember me and Eric taking selfies outside the courtroom at Frank Murphy. And it's like, my God. It's really all came together. In 24 hours, you went from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs. And I will say, Eric and I bonded. Because we didn't just live those three days. We went through that year and a half. It was, um... Yeah, I was in a zone. That's a good way of putting it. But I felt, after the case was over, he wasn't just a client. He was my friend, and I felt so connected to him. And we used to text things, like about power. We both liked watching the show Power and how, you know, Councilman Tate keeps getting away with shit. Like little jokes we would have between ourselves. We'd talk about life. We'd talk about sports. It always drove me crazy, because Eric always called you from a different number. And he would say something, like picking up in a conversation. And you'd, Eric, is this you? God damn it, tell me what you when you call my because I want to talk to him. And we had this victory dinner, right? And Eric told me he wanted to leave Detroit. He thought it was a good move for his kids. And he was this amazing gamer. Like, he was one of the best video gamers you ever saw. He wanted to do something with that and he was just a good person had some bad luck but he was a good person and um that case it set the tone for so many things because now you won at circuit court in detroit they won it 15 years they didn't get 15 minutes and you did it in the most unconventional ways. And I know that John Estes and his wife, marilyn they could have hired anybody they wanted. And there were some great names. They could have went Joe Simon. They could have went Gabby Silver. They could have went Bill McQuarrie. But they took a shot on me. And I was a nobody at that point. But this changed everything. And there was such gratitude to Eric and it's fine for taking a chance on me. You know, they rolled the dice, they saw something and okay. Case changed everything. And then um, in January of 2020, I get a text at two o'clock in the morning and uh, th- this is why I won't make decisions anymore about police I've learned that it is my job to present the pros and cons of every situation. It is my job to tell you, here's our risk, here's our reward. Here's what you need to consider. You need to talk about this with your family. But I remember when Eric said to me, should I take the two? And I said, fuck this, let's go win. And we won. Then you get this call. And the call was from John Estes and Eric got shot and killed. It was six months after we won this trial. And I didn't know how to take that, and I don't think I still know how to take that. But getting those messages that this client who took a shot on you and you saved him from fifteen years' incarceration was killed by some pieces of shit for no reason. Ironically one of those pieces of shit called me to represent one of them, not knowing the connection. And you went from um, the trial to being the first person to speak at, give a ULG in funeral. I remember, you're in Detroit in this funeral home. And I think I was the only white one there. Um, but I learned some of that funeral and it killed me about Detroit and this is why I have some issues with prosecutors, but there was this feeling in the air with the loss of Eric, this young life, that this is just what happens in Detroit. And there's nothing I could say to help his family through that. And you're always left with that feeling. (laughs) I will tell him to take the two fucking years, he might still be alive today. That was something I'll live with the rest of my life. Certainly, I want to win the case for him, and certainly I could not have predicted that some piece of shit would kill him, but that sticks with me. And that's why I will not make a final decision on a plea, because I don't want to play God. I'm just gonna play defense counsel. Eric, I just had a birthday, man. We miss you, man. The world was a better place with you. Love you. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus & Amadeo. Connect with McManus & Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com
0: or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio.
1: So, I want to give a couple shout-outs tonight. I want to shout out three people. You know, my filter's off, and I'm just going to tell you people I care about right now. and I'm going to give some credit, and some people will applaud me for what I say. Some people will talk shit about me, and I'm used to people talking shit about me. We'll get into that more later, but first of all, Cara Wiseman, my wife. You know, I know things are rough with work, but you are a rock star. You're an amazing mother. You're a beautiful woman, you're a great wife, and I'm lucky I have you, and the fact that it is 10.02 on Friday night, and I'm working, and you're not filing for divorce, I appreciate that. She knew what she signed up for, right? I work my ass off all the time. Love you, Jewel. I want to give a shout to my boy Mike Picotney. Mike, what you're doing with animals is amazing. You're somebody I look up to, somebody I admire. Anytime you need finances for any of that stuff, I got your back because you're doing God's work. And every day I am more convinced that I like animals more than people. And, you know, if you like people more than animals, I'm worried about you. But animals are better than people. Scott Grable, you the man. I'm going to give a shout to my boy, Joe Abera. You know, Joe, I know you're dealing with some shit right now. But let me tell you, the cream always rises to the top. You're a true man. You should be the sheriff and Shiawassee. And let me tell you, people will lie about you when you're trying to do things. People will talk shit. People who really misinterpret the facts. You're a man amongst men. I'm honored to call you a friend. I will always call you a friend. Okay. I am in crazy trial prep. And that's why I'm here tonight. And my tank's on E. But I also had to get some content done. And the main topics tonight are the discovery quest. And then five becomes four by yellow card. And I'm going to answer a few questions that have come in lately. Um, one was about the attorney general position. One was about Kim Worthy and their conviction integrity unit. And I'll, I'll answer those things briefly. Because I know people have been emailing and texting about that. And... As far as the Attorney General race goes, I think the Dems is going to be between Karen McDonald and Eli Savitt. Uh, Many Republicans have approached me to run. I just don't see it in my future right now because I just don't think there's enough money for the position. And, you know, I'm sorry, but if I'm going to work till 10 o'clock on Friday night, compensation needs to be there. And I just, I think it's a very important position. If somebody like Mark Green or Doug Lloyd decide to run, we will get behind them 110%. And I'll be very public about that. Hey, Nancy. What up? Um, Kim Worthy today posted something about the Conviction Integrity Unit. And let me just say something about Kim Worthy. I know people give a lot of shit to Kim. She's got the toughest job in the state. Being the elected prosecutor in Wayne County is no joke. And I have never had evidence hidden on a Wayne County case. Not intentionally. I can't say about every county I work in. I have never seen her cover for corrupt APAs. And you know, when a prosecutor hides evidence because they're so desperate to win, they forget that they are supposed to be ministers of justice it's not just about a conviction and i promise you this when you hide evidence when you destroy evidence i'm going to be the one in your face about it i'm tired of seeing innocent people get wrongfully convicted lay the facts out there let the facts do the topic nancy the big thing was me running for the attorney general as a republican candidate and i don't think that's going to happen okay let's talk about the discovery request young lawyer hit me up today and she's dealing with some bullshit in a certain county i'm very familiar with and they keep doing these games where they won't give her all the discovery that she is requesting and there's one corrupt prosecutor who i'm really thinking about tonight who i'm just waiting to bang heads with this individual at trial and um, don't worry, your is coming real quick. But I told this young lawyer, here's what you need to do, and pay very careful attention to this in your discovery request, because you have to set up a corrupt prosecutor for appeals. And even if the circuit court judge does not call it your way, you have to create the appellate right. Remember something, guys we lose motions we win trials it's part of the game when you got a huge ego i see scott grable out there he could relate to this it is frustrating as hell when you present a proper motion and a judge does not grant you to win politics come to play a lot with that you have to ask for the following year discovery request and pay careful attention Ask for all body cam. Ask for all dash cam. Ask for all video recordings. Ask for all audio recordings. Ask for all forensic interviews. And spell that out. I am so sick of seeing corrupt prosecutors say, well, you didn't request it in your discovery request. It's a violation. I'm about to hand all that shit over. But if you spell it out, you create another level of protection for your client. Audio, video, dash cam, body cam, forensic, spell it out completely. And then when they play those games, you have created a situation that's worth its weight in gold. You've literally created an insurance policy for your client. You have to put in those particulars in your discovery request. You can't just put in your appearance. When you put in your appearance, I see lawyers drop the ball on this all the time. There's something Scott Grable told me way back when. Ask for everything. Spell it out. You cannot rely on the other side doing the right thing. You have to spell it out in clear detail. So when they play this game that you did not properly do that, you showed them your timestamp copy. You motion it up. And even if the judge does not grant your motion, you still have won an issue for your client. And as a criminal defense lawyer, it is about winning points all day long. We have to do that. I mean, you know, let's be real. With our jobs, the prosecutors are against us. Many of the judges are against us. The press may be against us. And sometimes we're against us, which is really bizarre. I mean, I listen, I heard some shit today. I know that I'm not a Washtenaw guy. I know that. And I work 17 counties, so do I give a shit? But there is a lawyer in Washington who's trying to... We're, we're in the same market, if you would, for a couple big cases coming up. This individual's popping all sorts of shit about me yes he's won those trials but he got lucky okay listen i'm not going to shit on another lawyer to get a client and i'm not going to tell a client something that's not true to get their money i'm just not going to do that and i don't have time for a little sorority girl type coffee drama because a lot of you guys are talking shit about me you're at the coffee cooler talking shit about people, like a scene from Mean Girls, when I'm going to my next county. I don't have time for the drama. I'm there to win and move on. So if you don't like me, you don't like my attitude, you don't like my Jersey accent, it go somewhere else. I've never not given 110% to a case. And tonight's case, this is about winning. It's about protecting my clients about giving it all till it hurts and yeah there's some financial benefits that come with that but i don't think if i'm not the hardest worker out there what am i you know i think bill McQuarrie is the best trial lawyer in the state i think scott grable is the most knowledgeable criminal mind in the state i think i am the hardest worker in the state not think you go wrong with any of those people, but I'm just telling you, this was my thing. I am still a kid from Ducktown. There's a kid from Ducktown that grew up poor, and we're going to transition here for a minute. That doesn't leave you. And if it leaves you, I'm concerned. And that leads me to the song Five Becomes Four by Yellow Card. Oh, man. Live audience, I gotta give it to you, man. It is 10, 12, and you're here. Keep up the good work. he's gonna get that joke. You know, I got a link this morning from a, a friend in Atlantic City. Or at least somebody used to be a friend. You know? And 2007 was really a weird year for me. It was the year my mother died. It was right before my first bar exam and a lot of things were going on and yellow card released a new album and to me while it wasn't the most critically acclaimed song the song five becomes four by yellow card and i will post this it was so goddamn powerful you know and the song talks about there's a group five friends and this is why it hits so hard And one of the friends goes a different direction. And Yellow Card, Ryan, who's the lead singer, he's talking about how painful it is, you know, that you left us. And the person that sent this to me today is somebody who feels I left them behind. And, you know, in some ways they're right, but let me explain the situation because this person is a facebook friend if not a real friend anymore and honestly i don't know how many people outside my inner circle are real friends i mean i think i'm a friend to everyone but i'm not always sure who is a friend to me and i i don't like asking for things it's very seldom i ask for anything from anyone but i will tell you my inner circle they're the ones you take the bullet for and I'm cool with a lot of people, but I think a lot of people put me in their inner circle that they may not, I may not put them in my inner circle, but it's a different personality now, Atlantic City plays a big role in that for better and for worse, but there was five of us and the year was 2002, you know, and in 2002, it was a rough time for me, didn't know about the dyslexia at that point and I wasn't getting into law school. And, um, I went to Widener trial admission program, the TAP program, and they didn't take me and that was heartbreaking, you know? And at this point in the game, you're feeling like, well, it's over. You couldn't get into that program. And, you know, Cooley would be two years later, but you hit such a wall with things. And there were five of us, all Atlantic City kids that were getting older, and not getting old, but getting older. And I said to them, we need to do something here. We need to grab some dreams. We need to make some things happen. And I was the leader. And I know that's where the hurt comes from with um, this song today. But I said to the group, we got to grab the world by the balls." and every one of us had dreams my dream was law school and moving on past that but when you can't achieve your dream you start settling for things you settle for career choices you settle for relationships you settle for life and i think settling is this horrible thing you know But you're in that mindset that if I can't do what I dreamed of doing, can I do something to feel good about myself? And for me, I was going to run for union president. I want to be president of Local 54. And these other four had other dreams that were secondary dreams. And we started clicking and like Pulling each other out on things and working hard towards these secondary goals. And I always said from day one, Hey, if I get into law school, I'm gone. I don't think it's ever going to happen, but if I get in, I'm leaving just so we're clear. And I led them and things were happening where all five of us were going towards these secondary dreams. And, um, one day I coolly contacts me and I put in all these applications and I get in. Now, while I was part of this group, I was also working my ass off at Tropicana and such, cause I wanted to put enough money away for Aunt Mary and mom that they would be in a comfortable financial situation. I eventually sold my condo to pay off the house and Ventnor. Like I had this plan in place that if I did decide to leave, the people I felt I owed something to my aunt, my mom would be taken care of. I wish they were here to enjoy the financial benefits of what happened, but they're not, unfortunately, but I wouldn't be here without them. And I could never repay them. But my goal was if I'm going to chase this stream. I have to protect my family. And even in law school, I was working as a journalist, sending money home. I mean, it always blew me away, these people that went to college and law school, didn't have anything else to do other than study and party. And that just was mind-blowing to me. Because I didn't have children, right? But I felt like in some ways Aunt Mary and Mom were my responsibility, like somebody who had two children. I got to take care of the girls. They taught me that. I owed them that. So I get into Cooley, and I got my group which was my inner circle back then. And I said, hey, guys, I'm going to go to Michigan. But I want you all to keep chasing your dreams. And I'll do whatever I can to help you. But I got to do this. Because if I don't leave now, I'm um, I'm not going to like Bill Amadeo. I'm just not going to be complete. You know, and... People have come and gone in my life, and circumstances have come and gone. But when you're at that crossroads, you start looking at things differently, you know. And Q, who was my best friend growing up, who was not one of the five, he was getting serious with Joanne, who's his wife today, and they have four kids. And I love Q. And dyslexia is just kicking my ass. You're watching your friends get married, and you're seeing all these situations evolve, and you're wondering who you are. And um, I turned to two people for advice, because Aunt Mary and Mom were torn. Right? I mean, they want me to chase my dream, but it had to be at Rockers for them, because they couldn't bear to part a point of me leaving you know, I hear a lot of people say shit to me that family is not that important to me. And that's bullshit. How I cared for my family may have been different than the way traditional people did. But let me tell you something. When people say that shit to me. My uncle died. I paid for the funeral. I flew my cousin in. And there was a lot of hard feelings there between me and my uncle. My aunt never had to make a mortgage or tax payment, no matter what was going on in my life. My mom got the best care for her cancer treatment. I may not have been physically there like I wanted to be because I was in Michigan in law school, but I took care of my family. And anybody that wants to come at me on that, fuck you. I've heard someone say that the other day, and I almost lost my shit in a text message. And, you know my family meant everything to me and my family means everything to me don't tell me what i did and didn't do you weren't there you weren't there my mom was dying and hiding it from me and i'm in finals and i'm talking her through things or when she went to the hospital i stayed up all night with her crying or i was making sure Aunt Mary had money to eat when that was all going down and when i had to almost drop out of law school for a term to go home and make medical decisions you don't know me Fuck off. That being said, at this time in my life, and why 5 Becomes 4 is such a critical song to me. I turned to two people. The first person I turned to was Father Sullivan. (sighs) You know, he's my childhood priest. He's somebody I looked up to, and he's somebody who was never caring or good to me. And if I have one problem with the Catholic faith, and I, you know, if religion works for you, God bless you, man. Do your thing. But I could tell you, I was taught to be a strong Catholic. I turned to the man who was always a prick, but the man who we were supposed to look up to, the man we were supposed to idolize. And I said to him, Sully, I got shot to go to Michigan. What do you think? And he said to me, Billy, you got balls, but you're never going to make it. Don't go through the financial aid. Just work in the casino and accept your limitations in life. That's what he said to me. And at that point, when you look up to somebody, when you put someone on that pedestal, for so many reasons, faith, spirituality, learn behavior, whatever it is, right? he told me I wouldn't make it, that hurt. And back then, I had second thoughts about shit. And I went to Jerry Dowdy. Hey Jerry, rest in peace. Jerry Dowdy, father figure, uncle figure, big brother. And I said to Jerry, what do I do? What do you think? And he tapping me on the shoulder and said, Billy, Go for it. And I talked about the five people I was close with, the, the four people, group of five, and worried about my Aunt Mary, and I'm worried about my mom and Sully says I can't do it and Jerry's like, fuck them. Sorry, you have to do you at some point. If you don't do you, you're gonna regret it the rest of your life and when you do you, you will be able to take care of all that you love. If you don't do it, you got regrets. I do not want to look back with regrets, you know, and as I got this text today, the lyrics were really thrown into this text, and I'll read a few of them. But, you know, when Yellow Card is screaming this into the microphone, you really, you're, feeling this type of personality. You just feel their words and the power coming off the page. And the person sent this text highlighted certain things. Here's some of the lyrics. Needed some time, so I could find a little strength to redefine. What I've become, what I have done. I never asked to be the one. And they highlighted I never asked to be the one. And there was anger. Why are you the one? Why are you the one that made it out of those five? You weren't the smartest. Right. I was the hardest worker, but I wasn't the smartest of the group. And this is somebody who there's no ill will towards, you know, but (sighs) to get where you want to be in life, you've got to gamble. You've got to take some chances. There's one difference between me and this individual the gambler you know? and then they made this comment about different people i hang out with today and different groups i'm in and it goes back to this stands in the song it's got to be easy to see what everyone takes out of me knocking me down dragging me out how did you end up in that crowd and they highlight it how did you end up in that crowd and i want to be clear on something right now i know i'm a goddamn chameleon right i know at times it looks like i'm in certain crowds i know at times it looks like i've been accepted in certain areas sometimes it's just the dance and the music is silent if you're an Atlantic City kid you know what i'm talking about there Survival and thriving is a hell of a thing. And I'm gonna say this to that person. I got a son now, he's amazing. I got a dog, he's amazing. And I think of what my animals growing up had to go through and they never went without, even if we had to. And I know some of the shit I endured. When I look at my son I think is the most amazing child in the world he's much closer with his mother than me she carried him for nine months she fought like hell to have him and he loves me I think the connection between a mother and a child is something nobody could even put a price tag on or describe but when I look at Max I don't want Max and the five of you the four of you excuse me from the five I want you to really listen to what I'm going to say. I never want Max to experience what we had to endure. And if that means I got to go to a certain party or put on a certain piece of clothing or speak a certain line, I'll do what I got to do. To me, no matter how much money's in the bank or what Google says, there's a fear that my son will be back on Willow Avenue and I'm never gonna fucking let that happen. And I'm sorry we had to endure that. I am so fucking sorry about that. But I still think if you want a dream, you gotta go for it. That's right, Sarah. And um, I guess that's all I got to say right now. Been a long day, guys.